Okay, time to get started. Let's get everybody in. I want to welcome you tonight to our fourth session, and I need to say this. I told everybody for three weeks that if you would make it, if you would give me three weeks, if you would get to last week's session, that I believe you'd be hooked and I wouldn't have to bug you anymore about finishing the last seven. So uh, I'm looking at the head count. I believe that might have worked because we're still up uh, maybe a little over 400 people. And uh, so, yeah, 400 people on a Wednesday night studying the Bible. That's great. Let's pray. Father, tonight we assemble in your name. We assemble to elevate your name and your word. And we elevate your name and your word because you said, if the Son of Man is lifted up, he, you, will draw everyone unto yourself. So, Lord, tonight we lift you up. We lift up your name. We lift up your word, believing that you will do exactly what you said. You will draw us to yourself. Reveal yourself to us through your word, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Tonight we seek you. We seek to know you in ways we never knew you before. We seek to honor you. We seek to prepare ourselves for the time we're going to meet you personally, face to face. And so that we might be able to prepare others for the time that they will also meet you face to face. In Jesus' name, amen. You probably noticed by now that in every session I have set it up with the same scripture. It's Jesus' closing to the Olivet Discourse. The Olivet Discourse is the second longest single teaching of Jesus in the Bible. Be, behind the uh, Mount of Olives, uh, not the, the uh, Beatitudes and all of that. Um, he grabs just a few people, <clears throat> and it's a Wednesday before he'll die on a Friday. And it's called the Olivet Discourse because he takes them up to the Mount of Olives, <clears throat> just, out, <clears throat> excuse me, just outside the eastern gate of Jerusalem. And he, and he does this description of the events that will precede his second coming. And when he gets to the end of that, in, in the Gospel of Luke's uh, rendition, he says this, heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. So I want you to put that in context. What he was telling them there in that day is eternal. And he's saying everything around you that you know, one day is going to be gone. But what I'm telling you will last, it'll surpass this world. It'll last forever. And, and in, in, the, in the context of everything is going to be gone, listen to my words. What's he say? Watch out. Watch out. Don't let your hearts be dulled by carousing. Don't let your hearts be dulled by drunkenness. Don't let your hearts be dulled by the worries of this life, this world. Don't let that day. What day? Don't let that day catch you unaware like a trap, for that day will come upon everyone living upon the earth. Keep alert at all times and pray that you'd be strong enough to escape these coming horrors and stand before the Son of Man. Now, I've tried in every session to make this point. When he says escape the coming horrors, um, primarily I'm referring to the tribulation in this series because it's called the tribulation. But I want to make sure everybody gets it, that... There's something coming after the tribulation that's worse than the tribulation. So let, let's, let's just make sure everybody understands what we're talking about. Hail is worse than the tribulation. And it follows the tribulation for the lost. So when he says escape these coming horrors, I believe it is a, 
pray that you can escape the coming horrors. I believe he's a, a direct, because he gives this warning at the end of his announcement of the conditions of the earth when he comes back. So I believe it is a, a warning and instruction how to escape the tribulation. But it is also the same instructions that help you escape hell itself, okay? So last week, we talked about the four horses of the apocalypse. Destruct, destruction and wrath in last week's scene has come to the earth, but the church, I believe with all of my heart, has escaped the coming horrors and stands before the Son of Man as all hell breaks loose on the earth. The Father, in last week, the one of the most moving scenes in all of the Bible to me, the Father, last week, has handed the scroll, the title deed of planet Earth, all dominion, all authority, all power, everything He hands over to the Son, Jesus. That's the scroll wrapped, sealed with seven seals. And last week, He handed it to the Lamb, from the, the Lion from the tribe of Judah, and this scroll, which is um, ownership, dominion, and control of the earth, and the people of the earth, he hands it to Jesus, the last Adam. He handed it to the first Adam, and the first Adam handed it to Satan. But it belongs ultimately to God, the Father. And now he's handing it. And what, what was it that made the transaction able to now be handed to Jesus, the cross. The cross undid the first Adam's sin. So, he hands this, this title deed, and it has seven seals. The first four seals have been opened as of last week's class, and destruction has come upon the inhabitants of the earth. So, let's do a real quick review. The first seal was a white horse. He is not Jesus. He is the deceiver. He comes conquering and um, the earth. He is the antichrist. And it's interesting that it is the first of the seven seals, which tells me that the antichrist will have to be released in the beginning for the tribulation to be the tribulation. If you read Thessalonians, it says he's the man who brings destruction. So his arrival is the destruction's arrival schedule. So when the white horse comes, destruction comes. So that's the white horse. The second seal is the red horse, war and bloodshed. Third seal was the black horse, famine. It'll take you a day's hard work to make enough money to buy enough food to survive that day. The fourth seal is the pale green horse. Death and Hades, by way of sword, famine, disease, and wild animals. Interesting that those are the same four tools of God used in Jerusalem when Babylon, when, when the Babylonians came to destroy Jerusalem in 586 BC. So bear in mind that these are all worldwide events. So if somebody wants to read the scripture and say, he's not talking about the end, there's been a lot of events that have happened between the time of Christ and now, but none of them have covered the planet. There's been world wars, but even during world wars, it did not cover the planet, even though it had the title world war. This will cover the planet everywhere. Understand, it's a worldwide event. 
Notice Jesus' warning in verse 30, 35 above. Don't let that day catch you unaware like a trap, for that day will come upon everyone living on the earth. It won't matter where you are, you won't be able to hide. So you think you live in some, some place like Birdie. Well, th- who cares about Birdie? If you're in Birdie in the tribulation, you will not hide. He, he, he's, it'll be everywhere on the earth. Jesus is again, his Olivet Discourse. Now Matthew, Matthew 24, it's Matthew's version of the Olivet Discourse. For there will be greater anguish than at any time since the world began. And it'll never be so great again. In fact, unless the time of calamity is shortened, not a single person will survive. But it will be shortened for the sake of God's chosen ones. And that's shortened so that there's a time coming. We've described it in the first session, the time of Jacob's trouble. It's the time when he will look toward Israel. So um, these are not localized events, worldwide events of God's wrath and judgment being poured out upon the earth. And here's the point. What is that? That's four of the seven seals. And it's just getting started. Here we go. Here comes the fifth seal. And I want you to get this. This seal is on the scroll of dominion and authority that God has handed to his son. Fourth seal. There are souls under the altar. Verse 9. When the lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw under the altar. Now they're in heaven. I saw under the altar the souls of all who had been martyred for the word of God and for being faithful to their testimonies. They shouted to the Lord and said, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge the people who belong to this world? Now, belong to this world. Don't don't read over that. How long before you judge them? These are souls Notice it says souls. They're under the altar in heaven crying out to God. How much longer until you bring justice to those who belong to this world and avenge our blood for what they, those who belong to this world, have done to us souls who are now under the altar. Then a white robe was given to each of the souls under the altar. And they were told to rest a little while longer, which means it's not over, is it? Until the full number of their brothers and sisters, their fellow servants of Jesus, who were to be martyred, had joined them. The fifth seal reveals a scene in heaven while the destruction is taking place on the earth below. So I want you to get two pictures going on simultaneously. So in heaven, there are souls under the altar crying out to God. How much longer is this going to last? When are you going to bring justice to the earth, to those people who are defying you and your name and killing your bro- my brothers and sisters? How much longer? And, 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 and while that's going on in heaven, what's going on on the earth? These seals are being broken. The Antichrist is coming to power and people are dying. The people are dying and their souls are going to the, thro- to the altar. People are dying and their souls are going to the altar. People are dying and their souls are going to the altar. And the altar is filling up. And the people under the altar are saying, how much longer until you intervene? There's a lot of souls under the altar. They're dying on the earth. Who are these souls under the altar in heaven? 
You'll never understand this until you understand who are they? Who are these souls under the altar in heaven while destruction and judgment are occurring on the earth? They are what we commonly call tribulation saints. Believers who will be killed after the rapture of the living church. And I'm trying to, I worded this kind of lengthily to try to clarify something. They are believers who will be killed, I believe, after the rapture of the living and the dead church. Now, now you with me? For several weeks, I've tried to make this point especially clear. On the rapture of the church, everyone who is a believer from the time of the church, more than likely from the day of Pentecost, some people say, well, it go back to the cross. I, I don't know. From the time of the church until the time that trumpet blows. So Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they're gonna, that's the day they get their resurrected body. Their soul has gone to be with the Lord. But that, the dead in Christ's soul reunion doesn't happen until that trumpet goes off. So understand, these tribulation saints are believers after, after that event, after that who will be killed, after the rapture of those who, are, who were alive, alive believers on the earth, after the rapture of those who, Christians who were dead and buried on the earth, after all that takes place. So you got to draw a line. After they've been taken, something happens. Souls under the altar. Listen carefully. These are souls without resurrected bodies. That's why they're called souls underneath the altar. So you might even say, that's the description of Peter, Andrew, James, and John today. Souls at, in the presence of God. They don't have their resurrected body, not yet. My grandmother doesn't have her resurrected body, not yet. That won't happen until the day that the dead in Christ are, ra are raised, right? So these souls crying out to God under the altar are souls without their resurrected bodies. Now here it comes. They will not receive their resurrected bodies until the end of the tribulation. That's why they're under the altar crying out to God. So... There was a large group of people, maybe 2,000 years worth of people, that got their resurrected body before the tribulation began. But then the tribulation began, and the souls that are going up to heaven as they die, believers, they won't get their resurrected body until the end of the tribulation, until the seven years is over. Stay with me. It is at that point that the book of Daniel says, not only will the tribulation saints get their resurrected body at the end of the seven-year tribulation, but so will the Old Testament saints. The Old Testament. Where are they in these pictures? If you'll ever notice in Thessalonians, it says the dead in Christ shall rise. Now, many people believe that that only refers to the church age. Why? Because immediately after the tribulation, the tribulation saints are going to get their resurrected body. 
the Old Testament saints are going to rise and get their resurrected body. So what happens at the end of the, the tribulation? So what happens next? There's 1,000 years of Jesus reigning on the earth. When do you think would be a good time for all Old Testament Israel to come and join their king? When he walks into Jerusalem and sits on David's throne. That's it. That's, so they're, they're, they're going to rise and, and, and reign with him. You remember when he looks at his 12 apostles and says, you will sit on 12 thrones and you will judge or reign over the 12 tribes of Israel. It's a promise, a future promise he made. That'll happen in the millennial kingdom. So we've got this resurrection of the church age. Um, and then you've got this draw a line. We enter the tribulation. During the tribulation, souls of believers, who, if you come to faith during the tribulation, your soul goes to the altar. You cry out to God, how much longer? And what's he do? He gives you a white robe and says, hang on. He gives you a white robe and says, wait. Why? Because there's more going to join you. A lot more. This would be a good time to make a strong point. I highly... It is highly likely that the martyred souls, the primarily, I'm not saying exclusively, I did not say that. These martyred souls under the altar crying out to God are primarily Jewish people. Why? The time of the Gentiles is closed. Boy, you want to know something that makes you feel urgent? That's it. The rapture of the church ends the time of the Gentiles. And begins the time of Jacob's trouble, which will also be the time of Jacob's salvation, as Jacob is Israel. Many live under the false idea, maybe you're in the room tonight, maybe you're watching me online. You have this false idea that it'd be easy to come to Christ after the rapture. I mean, let's face it. You look around one day and all those people who were really kind of whacked out about Jesus, they're really serious about him, and they just happen to not be around anymore, you think. Wow. Well, they were right all along. So you think at that point it'd be easy. No, it won't be. And I want to show you why, because this is important. The Apostle Paul reveals that God will give a spirit of delusion to those who rejected the gospel while they had an opportunity to receive the truth. Romans chapter 1 describes something that, quite frankly, we all have a hard time dealing with. It's a time in which God will do something that only He can do. He says, I will at some point turn people over to a depraved mind. The old King James called it the, a reprobate mind. It is a mind that is delusional. You cannot think. You cannot reason. You can't, you can't see up and down. Um, okay, let me, so let me give you an example of a depraved mind. A depraved mind is unable to reason truth. You can't. I don't care if you beat them over the head with truth, they can't understand truth because they have a depraved mind. So right now we live in a generation where people, intelligent, uh, educated people, will look you square in the eye and say a man, a man can have a baby. That person has a depraved mind. A man cannot have a baby. It is impossible for a man to have a baby. You have a depraved mind. If you read Romans 1, it is what God does to people who cross a line. 
I don't know where that line is, and I'm not the one in charge of that line. Praise God, hallelujah. But he gives them a depraved mind. So I'm connecting the dots. So this idea that God gives a spirit of delusion, it isn't just something that happens in the tribulation. He does that now for people who abandon the Word, abandon the Holy Spirit, blaspheme the Holy Spirit, that, that at some point He'll turn you over. You don't want me, I'll let you have life without me. I'll, I'll let you have a, line, a life that cannot reason truth anymore. I will turn you loose. Now, if He would do that now, before the tribulation, do you think He would do it to people who attended a church or was a, were associated in some respect to a church their whole life and yet never surrendered to Christ? Do you think He might give them a spirit of delusion? Would this maybe apply to those who attended a church, played a game called religion, and did not go in the rapture? Let's read it. 2 Thessalonians 2.5. Don't you remember that I told you about all this when I was with you? And he's talking about the return of Jesus. And you know what's holding him back, the Antichrist, or he can be revealed only when his time comes. For this lawlessness is already at work secretly, and it remains secret until the church, the one who's holding it back, steps out of the way. The man of lawlessness will be revealed, but the Lord Jesus will kill him with the breath of his mouth and destroy him with the splendor of his coming. This man, the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, will come to do the work of Satan with counterfeit power, counterfeit signs, counterfeit miracles. Why do I make a big deal out of that? This is part of the delusion, the spirit of delusion. They are counterfeit signs, counterfeit miracles, counterfeit powers. He, the Antichrist, will use every kind of deception. Why does he have to use deception? Huh? To fool those on their way to destruction because they refuse to love and accept the truth that would have saved them. Here comes the depraved mind. They refuse to love and accept the truth that would have saved them. Why? Why can't you come to the truth when the evidence around you is pretty clear that all the Christians are gone? Verse 11. So God will cause them to be greatly deceived. Huh? Who? The Antichrist will do it? No. God will do it. God will cause them to become greatly deceived, and they'll believe the lies. Now listen, I said earlier that I believe this has direct implication to the tribulation period, and I think it also has direct implications to today. They will believe these lies. For example, a man can become pregnant. You don't have to be male. You don't have to be female. You can go back and forth. Do what you want to. Murder doesn't matter. Doesn't, nothing matters. There's no truth. They'll believe these lies. It's a depraved mind. It's a depraved mind. Unable to reason anymore. You can't see right and wrong, up and down truth. You don't know anything about it. You can look somebody and debate them till they, till they die. They're never going to change their mind. So God will cause them to be greatly deceived and they'll believe these lies. Here's the bad news. And then they'll be condemned. For enjoying evil rather than believing the truth. I want to read the New American Standard Bible translation of that verse. Um, I've told you, and I, I want to make sure everybody knows, I read the NLT for its simplicity. It's expressive. It uses way more words. Um, I like to read it, but I study from the NASB. 
Here's what it says. For this reason, God will send them a deluding influence. And you want to be messed up? Let him send you a deluding influence. You're done. So that they will believe what is false. In order that they may be judged who did not believe the truth, but take pleasure in wickedness. That's why we preach urgently. That's why we preach what? Today is the day of salvation. Today. Hebrews 3.17. That's why the Holy Spirit says today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled, when they tested me in the wilderness. These, excuse me, there your ancestors tested and tried my patience, even though they saw my miracles for 40 years. So I was angry with them, and I said, their hearts always turn away from me. They refuse to do what I tell them. So in my anger, God says, in my anger, I took an oath. They will never enter my place of rest. What do you think would happen if God looked at you, or God looked at a group of people, or God looked at a nation and said this, you will never enter my rest? He took an oath. You will never enter my rest. What do you think that means? You're as lost as lost can ever be lost. You will never, he, he took an oath. So what's he say? Verse 12, be careful then. Be careful, dear, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning away from the living God. Make sure. You must warn each other every day while it is still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. For if we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. Well, how much do you all think belongs to Christ? All of it. Do you know what? He just told you that your part of the inheritance is you are a you will share everything inside that scroll that is sealed with seven seals. Will be part of your inheritance. What do you say? If you're faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, we'll share in all that belongs to Christ. Well, that's everything. Remember what it says, today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled. Don't do what they did. Don't, don't do it. The church age. Gentiles will end. And God opens up salvation and the gospel of Jesus to the Jewish people. Tonight's revelation study, tonight's tribulation study, as we open the fourth seal and the fifth seal, what's happening? The church age of time of the Gentiles has closed and the time of Jacob has opened. He's opening a season that he will go after Israel. And I'm going to show you exactly how he's planning to do it. The Jewish people come to faith in Jesus during the reign of the Antichrist, and they are martyred. So who are the souls? Primarily, not exclusively. Primarily, the souls under the altar in the scene are the Jewish people who have come to faith in Jesus during the reign of the Antichrist. They are martyred. They are killed for not bowing down to the false Christ, the Antichrist. Romans 11, 25. Paul writes to the church, the Gentile church, by the way. 
And he says, I want you to understand this mystery, dear brothers and sisters, so that you will not feel proud about yourselves, church age Gentiles. That's who he's talking to. Some of the people of Israel have hard hearts, but this will last only. They have hard hearts. They cannot see. There's a, there's a type of depraved mind even there today. They can't see Jesus as Messiah. The scripture says they've got this veil that they cannot see through this veil. It's like a curtain. They can't see. If you can't see, you can't see. It will last only until the full number of Gentiles comes to Christ. At that point, it closes the church age. And so, all Israel will be saved. As the scriptures say, the one who rescues will come from Jerusalem. And he will turn Israel away from ungodliness. And this is my covenant with them, that I will take away their sins. Many of the people of Israel are now enemies of the good news, and this benefits you Gentiles. Anybody listening? So their time of departure, their hard heart, their eyes that cannot see, benefited whom? Us. It opened the time of the Gentiles. Yet they are still the people he loves because he chose their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For God's gifts and his call can never be withdrawn. Once you Gentiles were rebels against God, but when the people of Israel rebelled against him, God was merciful to you Gentiles instead. Now they are the rebels. The Israelites are the rebels. And God's mercy has come to you Gentiles so that they, Jews, will share in God's mercy. For God has imprisoned everyone in disobedience. Kind of a mysterious, mysterious verse. I've always thought it's mysterious. For God has imprisoned everyone in disobedience so that he could have mercy on everyone. Everyone on earth is locked into the same problem. We all have a sinful heart condition that left untreated will lead to certain death. He has imprisoned everyone to disobedience let me ask you, do you have to try to sin? Anybody? I wonder what happened if some guy in the back raised his hand and said, yeah, I have to. Liar. <laughs> See, we're imprisoned in this flesh. And sin's not something I have to try to do, is it? I don't have to try. Just let go. Let go. Throw your sails up. You'll sin. 32, for God has imprisoned everyone in disobedience so that he get mercy on everyone. And oh, how great are, are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. So when I was going through this afternoon, getting my head straight, I just kept coming back to this. How impossible is it for us to, to really do what we're trying to do? Seek the scriptures and know him. He's unknowable. He's too big. The only thing you're going to know about him is what he lets you know. So here he goes. I'm going to throw it in there again. I'm going to eventually get a lot of criticism for this. But what if? What if? There's this 2,000 years from Adam to Abraham. 2,000 years. And, and there's blood sacrifices. And before there's a law of Moses, there's just 2,000 2, years. There's no Jews. Abraham's the first Jew. There's no Jews. Right? There's just people. And then there's this 2,000 years from Abraham to Jesus. And now there's Jews, 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 Jews. The whole story is about Jews. 
And God's plan, he's going to reveal himself. He's going to tell people on the earth who he is through these Jewish people. Now, who can figure this out? Wow, I don't know how he decided he's going to do it. He's going to, through these people, reveal his glory to the world. 2,000 years he did it. And they rejected him. Hung him on a tree. The king came and he hung him on a tree. That's been 2,000 years. So 2,000 years, Adam to Abraham, blood sacrifices to atone for sin, but no Jews. 2,000 years, you got Jews, and you got the law of Moses, and Jesus comes and they hang him on a tree. Now, there's this last 2,000 years. If a day until the Lord's like a thousand years, a thousand years like a day, there wouldn't have been six days into this thing right now, or at least we're approaching six days. The Orthodox Jewish people believe that when that six days is complete, the Sabbath will come. A day of rest. And if a day until the Lord is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day, that day of rest will last 1,000 years. Now, if you're Jewish, you believe that's the Messianic kingdom. Not a Messiah. At least one rabbi told me that personally. He just believes it's a time in which Israel as a people will rise to prominence in the world. But if you're a Christian, you believe that no, 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 no. That thousand years is when Jesus will come and walk into Jerusalem and take his seat on David's throne. And he will reign on this earth and a time of rest, the Sabbath, will come to the planet. 2,000, 2,000, 2,000 rest. There's one gap of time before the final rest. It's seven years. It's the 70th week of Daniel. It's this topic. It separates the two. Interesting. But how? How? If the church is removed and the Holy Spirit is removed, how are these Jews going to come to faith in Messiah? Huh? How are they going to do it? First point, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, does seem to change when the church is called up. So I'm going to, I'm going to grant you something's different. Of course it's going to be different because the church age operates exclusively with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit power. So when Jesus says, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, how? It's because Peter's really tough? No, it's because the Holy Spirit enters people and carries out the work of Jesus. He's the head. So when the church is gone, how, how are these Jews going to suddenly come to Christ? The Holy Spirit will come during the tribulation. It looks like, it looks like, like he did in the Old Testament, where it just comes upon, he came upon David in power. And then there was a period it looks like he wasn't with David. And then he came upon King Saul in power and he prophesied and then he's not with King Saul. So it just, something looks different. How? I don't even know how to describe it, but it does look like something is different. But there are two ways that God will reveal Jesus as Messiah to the Jews during the tribulation. Now, now here's what you really got to get. I'm going to cover the details in, details in future sessions, but I want to tell you what they are. The first one's two witnesses, okay? There's two guys going to show up in Jerusalem that are going to stir up a ruckus. Two guys, and they, they, they're going to be Jewish, and they're going to be talking to Jewish people, and they're going to be in Jerusalem in the midst of the tribulation. And the world's going to know who they are, okay? Number two, 
There's 144,000 about to be revealed in tonight's session. 144,002. How's he going to do it? 144,002 is how he's going to do it. Both of these will be revealed during the seven trumpets that follow the seven seals. What are we doing tonight? We're doing the seven seals. Don't forget about all those Bibles that are left behind after the church was, has departed. Our Bibles may stay here. I believe they will. Notice why they're being martyred. So it'd be real easy to read this and miss, what did they do to get them killed? Because that's really what you probably ought to be paying attention to. But what did they do? They got them killed. Their souls under the mark, under the altar. Number nine, verse nine. When the lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of all who had been martyred for what? Two things, the word of God and being faithful to testimony. So listen, if you want to give up the word of God and reject the testimony of Jesus, you might survive. And then you'll go to hell. See, there's a dilemma here. What got them killed? The Word of God. The Word and the testimony. They will get you killed in the tribulation, and quite frankly, they will get you killed in a whole lot of places today. All right? This book will get you killed. The Word of God will get you killed. Testifying what's in this Word of God and what this did inside of you will get you killed. In the tribulation, it will get you killed. Are you ready? Right? Let that sink in for a moment. But this is the important part. They weren't afraid to die. Now, when I read that and I really got that, this is the only way to survive during the tribulation, and this is the only way you're going to survive right now. How clear is this? There are souls under the altar crying out to God. How much longer? How much longer? They got killed because of the word and the testimony. They refused to deny the word, and they refused to shut their mouth regarding their testimony about the word. They got them killed. But they had a chance, more than likely, they had a chance to recant. More than likely, they had a chance to, uh, if you read the rest of the story, they can bow down to the Antichrist, receive the mark of the Antichrist, you know, deny Christ, and maybe you can live. But they weren't afraid to die. Three things, three things, three things. The Word of God, my testimony, and I'm not afraid to die. So let's jump forward, Revelation 12. And then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens. It has come at last, salvation and power, and the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom of our God, and the authority of His Christ, kingdom and a king. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters, Satan, has been thrown down to the earth. The one who accuses them before God day and night has been thrown down to the earth, right? And they have defeated him. Who? The people on the earth. This is during the tribulation. He's thrown down to the earth. And they defeated him. How, How would you defeat Satan during the tribulation? And they, the same way you'll defeat him today. And they defeated him what? By the blood of the lamb, by their testimony, and they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. Isn't it interesting that that's what's putting people under the altar in this chapter? And it's the same thing in chapter 12 that he says wins the battle over the enemy. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and who, you who live in the heavens rejoice. Y'all can be happy up there, right? But terror has come to the earth, the tribulation. Why? 
For the devil has come down to you in great anger. He knows he has little time. Seven years. Tick tock, tick tock. Seven years. How do you survive in the tribulation? The blood of the Lamb. The Word. Your testimony. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And you ain't afraid to die. What if, you, what if they say, you either, you either lay those down or die? Then I die. Why? Because I believe in the resurrection. If you didn't believe in the resurrection, you would recant. You better figure out what you believe. The prophet Zechariah reveals that two-thirds of the Jewish people will be slaughtered during the tribulation. Kind of a hard time to be saved, isn't it? Zechariah 13, 8, two-thirds of the people in the land will be cut off and die, says the Lord, but one-third will be left in the land, and I will bring that group through the fire that makes them pure. Why the tribulation? Why the tribulation? He's going to bring Jacob, Israel, through the tribulation, through the fire, and purify them, and they will come out as gold. That's how he does it. I will refine them like silver and purify them like gold. They will call on my name, and I will answer them, and I will say, these are my people. Oh, I like that. And they will say, the Lord is our God. The souls under the altar are crying out to God for what? They shouted to the Lord and said, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge the people who belong to this world and avenge our blood for what they have done to us? In response to that how long, O Lord, question, he gives them white robes to wear. Do spirits and ghosts need white robes? Never dealt with a whole lot of ghosts. They all seem to have white robes in movies. I guess you wouldn't see them, but they didn't have a white robe on them. I don't know. <laughs> These souls under the altar have obviously been given temporary bodies for the time of waiting. Temporary bodies that will be covered with white robes. Waiting for what? I mentioned it earlier. For the end of the tribulation and their bodily resurrection, many more will die in the coming days. I'm going to say it one more time. What are they waiting? So they're going to get a white robe. They're going to get, they're going to be covered with a white robe under the altar. How much longer? They're waiting for the resurrection. They didn't get the resurrection because they didn't die until after the resurrection took place. So at the end of the tribulation, I'm going to say it again, two groups of people are going to be resurrected and receive eternal flesh. The tribulation saints and the Old Testament saints. And as they rise, primarily the, tribulation, primarily the tribulation saints are Jewish people. The Old Testament saints are pretty much all Jewish people, right? And they're going to rise at what time, what's happening at the end of the tribulation? Jesus becomes king, enters Jerusalem, begins a 1,000-year reign. And Israel, the Jewish people, come with him to reign. And they were told to rest a little while longer until the full number of their brothers and sisters, their fellow servants of Jesus, who were to be martyred, had joined them. More dead people are coming. Isn't that encouraging? Y'all hang on, more dead people are coming. Make some room. Sixth seal, here we go. The releasing of the four angels. 
This is a sixth seal on the scroll that the Father handed to Jesus. Verse 12, I watched as the Lamb broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake. The sun became as dark and as black cloth, and the moon became as red as blood. So it's now in the heavens, isn't it? The sun and the moon. And then the stars of the sky fell to the earth like green figs falling from a tree shaken by a strong wind. The sky was rolled up like a scroll and all the mountains and islands removed from their places. And then everyone, 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 the kings of the earth, the rulers, the generals, the wealthy, the powerful, slaves, free, everyone, all hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. Why they hadn't? Listen, there's, there's stuff falling out of the sky. The stars are falling, right? Why are they hiding? Uh, that's not why they had. Not because the stars are falling. And they cried to the mountains and the rocks to fall on us. Why? To hide us from the face. I can't look at him. The one that you and I long so desperately to see, they cannot look at him. To hide us from the face of the one who sits on the throne. That's the Father. And the reason I know it's the Father, because it says, and from the wrath of the Lamb. They are mentioned in two different categories. From the Father and the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath, the Father and the Lamb has come. And who is able to survive? Can you see why Jesus told us to pray, keep alert at all times and pray that you'd be strong enough to escape these coming horrors and stand forth the Son of Man? I get it. I hope you get it. The earth had been shaken and now the heavens are shaking. Stars are falling out of the sky. Everything that people hold as a constant is now being undone and torn down by God. Everything that everybody thought is always a constant. You know, there's 24 hours in a day, right? It's, uh, there's 365 days in a year. So lunar calendar's got 360 days in a year. There's these constants in the universe. Everything travels at the same speed through the universe. There's all these constants. It changes. He's the constant. Not the universe he created. He's the constant. He holds everything together. And in this scene, he's starting to flick them apart. And they're hiding from the face of the one. I remember years ago, this, this song this, uh, came out. He says, you don't have to worship the stars. You can worship the one who made the stars. You don't have to worship this stuff. You can worship the one who made this stuff. Ooh. People are in a total panic in this sixth seal. For the great day of their wrath has come. And who's going to survive we are still inside the sixth seal when the next scene appears. Inside the sixth seal on the scroll that Jesus took from the Father, now they release four angels. Inside the sixth seal. Revelation 7 verse 1. And then I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds so they did not blow on the earth or on the sea, or even on any tree. And I saw another angel 
coming up from the east, carrying the seal of the living God. Now, I want you to notice something. There's four angels holding back the winds. And there's another angel, and here he comes out of the east, and he's carrying the seal of the living God. Now, I want you to get this. He's carrying something that denotes ownership. He, 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 whatever this is, when it's on you, you belong to him. It's like, you belong to me. Okay, you're marked. This, is a seal. this angel carries a seal from God saying, this is, this is the mark that means that God owns you. You belong to him. You're one of his. Okay? And he, the one who's carrying this seal of ownership, he shouted to those four other angels who have been given power to harm the land and the sea. More destruction's coming. And he says, hold off, hold on, hold off, hold off. Four angels that will stop the wind from blowing on the earth. But the fifth angel appears. The fifth angel must do something. He must seal the chosen of God before, before the, the four angels can complete their mission of what? Doing harm to the land and the sea. You got to wait. You got to wait until I seal them. And here comes the next verse. Wait. What? These angels have come to bring harm. Wait. Don't harm the land or the sea or the trees until we have placed the seal of God on the foreheads of his servants. And I heard how many were marked with the seal of God. 144,000 were sealed from all the tribes of Israel. From Judah, 12,000. Reuben, 12,000. It goes through the 12 tribes. 12,000 times 12 is 144,000. Do you see it? Every one of them are from where? The tribes of Israel. They are all clearly Jewish. Why? Why? Why is the only sealing marking the possession of Jews? This is the time of Jacob's trouble. This is the time where God will redeem Israel by raising up 144,000 Jewish evangelists to preach the gospel around the world during the tribulation. Joined by two witnesses that will come and stand directly in Jerusalem. Notice they will be sealed on their foreheads. The seal of the living God. God's ownership, and I like this, and his protection. The seal is not just his ownership. The seal is his protection. So whatever power is trying to harm anything or anyone belonging to God, when this seal shows up, you can't. Listen, this is, I'm going to show you where that comes from. It is his ownership and protection. They cannot be killed after receiving the seal. Now, I'm talking specifically about the 144,000, okay? Make sure you know who I'm talking about. These 144,000, they are not, they are not the martyred under the altar. They are not. These 144,000, why, why do I say that? Okay, show me, preacher, how none of those 144,000 died. Okay, I will. I will show you. These 144,000 all appear again at the end of the revelation. None of them have been lost to death. The seal is their protection. So let's jump to Revelation 14. Here they come again, the same number, 144,000. And what's happening now? Then I saw the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, Jesus standing in Jerusalem. 
And with him were 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. What's the seal? The name of Jesus and the name of God the Father written on their foreheads. And I heard a sound from heaven like a roar of mighty ocean waves and the rolling of loud thunder. It was like the sound of many harpists playing together. What's John seeing? Where's the lamb? Where's he at when he, when he, when the, when he appears with these 144,000? He's in Mount Zion. He's in Jerusalem. And the count is the same now as it was in the beginning. There's still 144,000 of them. This is a spiritual war. On earth, the Antichrist is sealing the lost on their right hand and on their forehead. And God is marking his on the forehead. He's putting his name on son. And the Antichrist is putting his name on son. It's a spirit war. The question is, who's going to mark you? During this time, who's going to mark you? Some of you say, well, I'm not going to get marked. Who's going to mark you? Who, see, there's not going to be any neutral in this, in this war. Who's going to mark you? We're still in the sixth seal, and then an amazing scene is revealed. After the 144,000 are sealed, what will God accomplish through these 144,000 Jewish evangelists? I think I said a couple weeks ago, I need for you to get a scale. The entire planet was changed by a man, a single man named the Apostle Paul. Now, he preached for more than seven years. Okay, I get you. But he's one guy, right? These 144,000 sealed supernatural Jewish people, I believe they're just regular men, but they're sealed, filled with God's presence. They're going to go out. What, what do you think they could do in a period... It'll be slightly less than seven years. Could they reach the world? As I ask that question, I'm going to attempt to answer the question. What will God accomplish through these 144,000 Jewish evangelists? Is this next section, I'm going to go down and read verse 9 through 17. And I'm going to ask you before I read it, is this next section the result of God's outpouring to these 144,000 in the tribulation? Is this next section, what I'm about to read, the great awakening or the revival of Israel that will occur during the tribulation? Is this next section, listen, here's, here's why I'm making a big deal. Is this possibly the greatest revival that has ever taken place on planet Earth? What I'm going to read to you, is it the biggest, greatest revival that's ever taken place on Earth? After he releases the 144,000 Jews on the earth. During the tribulation when everybody's dying. So let's see. Let's see. Is it? I think it is. After this I saw. After this what? After this. After he's marked these 144,000 guys. After this I saw a vast crowd. Too great to count from every nation. And every tribe. And every people. And language. Standing in front of the throne. And before the Lamb. Too many to count. And they were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. And they were shouting. By the way, I inserted that pray that you be strong enough thing. I'll put that in there. And they were shouting with a mighty shout. Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. 
And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living beings. And they fell before the throne with their faces to the ground and they worshiped God. They sang, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength belong to our God forever and ever. Amen. And then one of the 24 elders asked me, here it comes. He, so I won't picture this. The elder, <laughs> and can you imagine John watching this and trying to write it down? Whew. I'd have to say, hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. I can't write that fast. So this angel, one, no, the elder, one of the 24 elders looks at John and says, who are these who are clothed in white? They're un, you can't count them. There's so many. Who are they? And where did they come from? Can you, can, okay, put yourself in John's shoes. I have no idea. Who are they? And I said to him, sir, you're the, you're the one that knows. Why are you asking me for? I'm not from here. And then he, the elder, said to me, are you ready? These are the ones who died in the great tribulation. How many people are going to be killed? What? You can't count them. These are the ones who died in the great tribulation. And they have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb, and they've been made white. That is why they stand in front of God's throne, and they serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will give them shelter. They will never again be hungry or thirsty. They will never be scorched by the heat of the sun. For the Lamb on the throne will be their shepherd. And he will lead them to springs of living water, life-giving water, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Would that help you not be afraid to die? It does me. Because you know who every one of those are? The ones that died. They overcame him in the tribulation by a word of, by the blood of the Lamb, by a word of their testimony, and they were not afraid to die. Tribulation saints, they died. They were executed during the Great Tribulation. I suggest that they are primarily Jews that have come to faith in Jesus as Messiah during the Tribulation. Not exclusively Jews, but primarily Jews. One more seal. Here we go. I'm running out of time. This is the final seal on the scroll in Jesus' hand. Revelation 8 verse 1, when the Lamb broke the seventh seal on the scroll, there was silence throughout heaven for about a half an hour. I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and they were given seven trumpets. Seven angels who were given seven trumpets. And then another angel with a gold incense burner came and stood at the altar. And a great amount of incense was given to him to mix with the prayers of God's people as an offering on the gold altar before the throne. The smoke of the incense mixed with the prayers of God's holy people ascended up to God from the altar where the angel had poured them out. And then the angel filled the incense burner with fire from the altar. And what's happening? He's, he's going to throw it to the earth. And thunder and crashed and lightning flashed and there was a terrible earthquake. When Jesus breaks the seventh seal... It brings a one-half-hour silence in heaven. Now, there's been a lot of people talk about a lot of reasons why there's a break. There's like this 30-minute stop-and-catch-your-breath moment. It's preparing for that which is coming next. 
This is just getting started. As horrible as all this seems, you've got to understand this is the beginning. The seventh seal reveals, contains seven angels that stand before God. They, the seven angels, are given seven trumpets. Another angel, different than the seven, is holding a gold incense burner, a censer, before the altar of God. The incense burner contains the prayers of God's holy people, and they are mixed with God's divine plans, and they are thrown down to the earth. So it's almost like this pause, 30 minutes, there's some worship, and then the wrath of God is announced. It continues. The worship turns to wrath. The seventh reveals, seventh seal reveals something. It's not over. The seven angels are holding seven trumpets. If you think the seven seals were bad, and I do, the seven trumpets are worse. The other angel, the one holding the incense burner, throws it down to the earth. Then the angel filled the incense burner with fire from the altar and threw it down upon the earth and thunder crashed, lightning flashed, and there's a terrible earthquake. Now I'm going to give you my simple conclusion to wrap everything up tonight, just like I did last week. If anyone believed any part of what I have covered in tonight's session, this much, you would fall on your face, repent before God and ask for mercy and that he would cover you with the blood of Christ. Yes, you would. Yes, you would. I don't know a human being on this earth that wants any part of what we're talking about. But the reality is most people still don't believe it's coming. What's that thing I used to say all the time? I believe that if you believed you were lost and Jesus had the power to save you, I believe you'd believe in Jesus. One more time. I believe that if you believed you were lost and Jesus had the power to save you, I believe you'd believe in Jesus. Next week will be session five. Those seven trumpets in the seven angels' hands is what the topic is. And yes, they are worse than the seven seals. So tonight, pray that you be strong enough to escape these coming horrors and stand before the Son of Man. Escape the coming horrors. The horrible tribulation last seven years. Hail is forever. Don't let that day catch you unaware like a trap. How much time we got left? I'm not talking about on that clock. I know that's what y'all were thinking, but I'm not. So as a world, how much time? Do you need any signs? Do you need anybody to convince you that something's happening in the world? I'm not date setting. I'm not. How much time do we have? How much time do your loved ones have? The neighbor down the road. Your kids. They quite frankly are being swallowed up into the darkness. Day by day by day by day. How much time do we have? I remember not too long ago, I had a conversation with a teenager, 14, 15, something like that. And I could just tell that they, they, they thought I was just stupid. A 15-year-old, a stupid 15-year-old <laughs> thinks I'm stupid. And you know what? I pray for that girl that she'd be strong enough to escape these coming horrors and stand before the Son of Man. So tonight I'm going to say what I did last week. I'm not doing a formal invitation. We're, we're doing something. But I'm going to stay up here. 
after this is all over. And if there's something that the Holy Spirit's telling you to do, you need to talk to somebody, you need to pray with somebody, I'm going to stay up here as long as I need to. I'll be hanging out up here. You can come talk to me, and, or maybe you won't talk to somebody else. We've got a lot of godly people in here. So talk to somebody. Talk to somebody. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that reveals your word. Thank you for your church that puts us all together so we don't have to do this by ourselves. Thank you, Lord, for giving us eyes to see so that you won't sneak up on us. Thank you for giving us ears to hear so that we'll know the truth and not listen to the liar. Make us strong enough to stand before the Son of Man on that last day. In Jesus' name, amen.